players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Wildfire, Donate, Morphling, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanra on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Eternal Glory Podcast. This is episode number 56, Return of the Mailbag. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Today? It's, it's, it's mid-afternoon for a change, actually. Yeah, pretty strange, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, we normally record on Tuesday nights. It's currently Sunday afternoon, right after lunch. I'm literally, I could still taste my lunch in my mouth right now, and... Uh, I was in the middle of recording a video. I'm actually three rounds into a league right now and have it on pause. And I'll play the other two rounds when we're done. Just feeling totally weird about this, but we're going to get into it. Phil, want to make a prop bet? What's the prop bet? I asked Let's Phil, go. but uh, if Brian 5-0s this league, like, do you want to make a bet on this? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bet that Bryant does not 5-0 the league. Well, I'm not playing a league, but I will bet that Brian does. I think that he's a very powerful wizard. All right, bet. Bryant, what's Brian, what is your record currently? That would have been a good place to start. I'm two and one in the league already. You said that you were three oh. No, I said he I'm said he was three rounds into in. a league. Oh. <laughs> Get wrecked. Well, pay oh. up, sucker. <laughs> Alright, that was a good start. Uh Alright, I'll 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 start out with real life stuff. Um so last episode I mentioned that I started playing D D. Um that that's been really fun. Uh so we played last night until I don't know, like I think a little after midnight or something like that. And since uh, ba basically, you know, four of the six of us are, are teachers that all work at the same school and we all have Monday off and uh, our significant others randomly do as well. So we're also squeezing in a bonus Monday session, uh, which I'm super hyped about. It's been uh, it's been weird. I have to, like, fight all of my instincts to not just try to do the most broken possible thing all of the time it's hard because that's how my brain thinks and it's like nope this is role playing first that stuff second what level are you playing at that broken interactions are possible uh we just leveled up to 12 yesterday oh wow yeah my campaigns usually cap out at nine like, we we just don't go into the big stuff oh oh yeah we're 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 about to go to the underworld we're we're working for gods we're probably about to try and kill a god question mark question mark question mark uh it's gotten kind of intense i i joined this campaign like i think more than a year into it from when it originally started uh so it's it's been long running my girlfriend has maybe been playing for i don't know six months or or something like that at this point uh and she was a, a very late comer into it so yeah that's fair my gm just is really he has a particular way he wants the game to be played and wanted to feel which i suppose is the gm's prerogative and if i didn't like it i would leave but 
he does want like role play forward and he doesn't want us being super broken and he will usually wrap up a campaign as we approach level 10 just to make sure we don't get into like the 36 combat action kind of insanity stuff speaking of which my D campaign is seems to be coming to kind of an abrupt end it seems like the gm is just kind of bored running the game and wants to go run a different one which is fine uh because real life is coming back but we're i forget the oh it's a ghost of salt marsh is what we're doing which like the theme is you're in like a port and you're all pirates and you can sail out the ship and just end up at all of the greatest hits dungeons through D's history and then you go back to port and then go run a different famous dungeon and there's like some politics back at the port that you're supposed to be influencing one way or the other and it sounds like we're just not going to do any of that we're just going to run this gigantic dungeon and then be done so it's not quite what was advertised but at the same time i don't mind because i would like my friday nights back now that we can do stuff bryant how are things on your end I don't know. I didn't put anything for life updates because I feel like we just recorded and nothing in my life changes. I don't know. Sad. Time is a blur. <laughs> yep. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, Brian, anything else you want to mention in our intro here? What else is up? Uh, I am two full weeks into my school year at this point, and I'm basically looking for any reason to leave this job at this point. Uh, It's... It's basically like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to be awake right now. It's 530. Why am I getting up at 530? I don't need to do this if I don't want to. Like, uh, I could go full time content, but I applied to a not quite a competitor because I work at a school and this would be like a home based therapy thing. But uh, I applied to a th place that runs primarily virtually and they consider 18 hours full time for salary and benefits. And then you can get, you could stack extra hours for extra money. But if I can work 18 hours a week and still have health insurance, that's a good deal for me at the, the place I am in my life right now. So application was sent on Friday afternoon. Hoping to hear something next week. Start to explore some options. All right. Have we, uh, have we flown through this portion of the intro already? Uh, in that case. Yeah, life is slow. Yeah, uh, thank you very much to uh, Ryan O'Lowlin um, for donating to keep the old podcast running and to keep our editor at Force of Phil well-fed and happy. Do you know this person? I would definitely pronounce that O'Lachlan. Oh, I'm not super familiar with uh, pronunciation naming conventions with those sorts of last names. That looks very uh, Irish-Scottish, like that part of the world where... Uh... Lachlan, I believe, is how you would say that. Yeah, if, if it's like Greco-Roman, I've got you covered. And if it's not, questionable at best. Yeah, the, the Greco-Roman Olaulan. Famous last name, Caesar Olaulan. Uh, I, I imagine that's Olaulan, but either way, Ryan, thank you for your donation. Alright, um, as far as magic stuff goes, uh, I have some super cool videos coming up that I'm excited about. So someone sent me a Magecraft aggro deck list and said, hey, I have this general idea. I've been doing this in Modern. Can you do this in Legacy? And I said, you bet. And I put together a like aggro combo version of a Magecraft deck that like actually just like fired off and did the thing surprisingly well for a brew. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that coming out. 
you, you know it's a good one when like you have to do a gatherer search in order to build the deck like that that's when you know you're uh you're dipping deep into the fun stuff and i've also got a league with what is almost a mono white humans deck but like also has meddling mage coming up um that ended up being really fun yeah i've definitely seen some of those lists uh floating on twitter from eddie zamora if you're familiar with him yo soy easy I keep losing to that deck. I just since you mentioned it, I I like see Yorion and I'm like, okay, we're playing against Death and Taxes, and then they're like Aether Vile. I'm like, okay, yep, confirmed. And then they're like Meddling Mage. I'm like, what the shit? <laughs> we're dead. My eyes. Uh, so to skip ahead a, a little bit, my eyes almost bugged out yesterday. I was four zero in the Legacy Super PTQ, and I got paired against Medvedev. If you're familiar with them at all, they are well known for playing eight forces in their Delver deck. And I immediately sighed when I saw their name. And then they revealed Yorian. And I was just like, oh my god, they're playing Death and Taxes. It was a pretty big change. I had a Urza Echo League that I recorded. And I got paired into Monkeys Can't Cry. Who's just... I queue into them all the time. They're in the near the top of the trophy board. They're always on Blue Red Delver. And... Ethan? I was, Ethan's a Doomsday guy. Every time I've queued into Monkeys Can't Cry they're on blue red delver in the in the queues like on on the challenges they might have a different thing but it's it's blue red delver i okay pretty sure i've played against them on camera four times on blue red delver and i was like okay uh we're playing against blue red delver this is gonna be tough i had this like echo or bust opening hand and uh he went uh fetch for savannah elvish reclaimer and i was like "Ooh, this was not the round to experiment and i just fucking echoed him into the earth Oh, that was fun. All right, Brian, how about you? I had a really cool opportunity. It was a cash playoff with Kai Sawatari, Sawatarix on Twitch and Twitter and everywhere. It was sponsored by someone who's been extremely generous in supporting my channel over the last year and a half or so. And they put up 500 of their own dollars for us to play five rounds of Bant versus Doomsday. And the winner of each match got a hundred dollars and that was a ton of fun it was high level content my brain was just a puddle at the end of it because we we just did five in a row we didn't take a break or anything kai was live streaming it so it wasn't like i could piece it together later on youtube it was it was just best of three queue up best of three uh for about three and a half hours and it was a lot of fun i ended up going three and two got paid felt good and that donor has another one coming. I'll be playing best of five for $500 against uh, Max Dorshin. He'll be on his build of Jeskai Ragavan with the Dragon Rage Channeler, NBC Rag, or whatever it's called. And I'll be on Bant again. So we're doing that. We're recording that piecemeal over the next week, a little more sustainable pace because he's an adult with kids and a job and stuff, and I have a job. And we'll be recording like one round a night over the next week and drop the videos. Probably shortly after this podcast goes live. That's super awesome. Yeah, re- really great content, really great feedback from the community, and an excuse for me to like really dial in and try hard on the channel compared to the donation decks where I'm usually just trying to have some fun. Oh, awesome, awesome testing, which is helpful because the Legacy Pit Open is coming up. It's just two weeks away at this point. Uh, slightly less because it's Sunday and it's on Saturday and I'll be at that 
uh, assuming that the world doesn't shut down in the next two weeks. But it certainly seems like America is just all steam forward, no matter what. Just booster shots, wear your mask, we don't care, get out there, do stuff. So uh, I will be at that, uh, masked up appropriately. And I'm looking forward to it. I have been working really hard trying to close the gaps in Bant's game plan. Because I do love Bant. It is the deck that I think I'm going to do best with, even though I do think that Blue-Red Delver is better in a vacuum. I think that my reps with Bant are going to be the best thing for me. And I'm trying to close the gaps. I made some updates, some things I wanted to try this week and recorded a 5.0 video with my new tech. And the league I'm in right now, in the middle of this podcast, is an updated version of that. So working hard on that technology for the Legacy Pit. Bryant, you're coming to that too, right? I will be there. What I wanted to ask you was, you said that you just recorded a video and now you're recording that video again. So I have this fear for my own channel of publishing similar decks too frequently. Do you have that? That's kind of a mix. I For like a signature deck, like I think I could release Shark still five times a week and my personal viewers would love it. For like Bant, uh, like that, I have a playlist of like Bosch and Roll signature decks that are like real decks that I actually care about versus the donation decks that I care about insofar as I want to have fun and make good content. But uh, like, I think my signature decks I can release a little more often. And also, I massage my queue pretty aggressively. Like, I have a three week buffer. If I died right now, you would still get three weeks more videos just releasing every day at 10 a.m. And I also have a gigantic queue out from there. I have like another four or five weeks of things I need to still record. So I can just like record today, release it six weeks from now and fill in the gaps in between with other stuff. Like uh, I massage it pretty hard. I do not release linearly how I record. Um, I so like the, the deck I'm probably playing the most right now is Madness. And I try not to release the same thing more than once in a week. But I will absolutely re- release a Madness video every week, for example, and like that's no big deal. People have tended to like it a lot. Uh, but when I was recording, say like mono death and taxes content all the time, that wasn't exciting for most people. Yeah, you have to be invested in death and taxes to watch that more than once. D and T leagues are also just like a grind. I can't imagine wanting to do that over and over and over and over. It, it's it's very intellectually rewarding, but also draining, and I I don't miss playing three hour leagues. I can I can tell you that. I remember a conversation we had the three of us. Uh, we were we had just wrapped up recording a podcast or whatever, or maybe we were gearing up to uh, record one. And Bryant was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna record a video real quick." And it was like, "We're recording in like." an hour and 10 minutes you're starting something now and, and you're like yeah how long does the league take and like phil being the dnt guy me being the bant shark still guy we're like three hours <laughs> and and brian's like no i could blast one out in like an hour like oh okay good for you whatever man this is life of a combo player yeah and like i was saying about massaging my cue like if i only have an hour and 10 minutes i'll be like oh i got a a ruby storm deck that i'm releasing three weeks from now i'll just record it now schedule it for three weeks out and check something off and i i do that as well that urza echo league i was talking about was a like i got 90 minutes right now what can i get done quickly i had a tutoring session last thursday at 8 p.m 
I started recording a Belcher League at 710 and finished it before the tutoring session. I was like, hell yeah. I was pretty pumped about that one. (laughs) Very nice. My last magic update was we, one of my friends organized what's called the Yinzer Draft Open. Uh, Yinzers are uh, Pittsburgh slang for those of you elsewhere in the world because in the Pittsburgh dialect, the uh, collective you, like a group of you, like you, you all, y'all, yous, is yins. So anyone who says yins is a yinzer. That's what we refer to local Pittsburghers as. So the yinzer draft open occurred, and it was a $100 entry, 16 players. We drafted Strixhaven, or we drafted Adventures of the Forgotten Realm, then we drafted Strixhaven, then there was a top eight Dominaria draft, and the winner got a Tropical Island, the second place got a Taiga, and everyone got a prize. So it was a pretty high power event, like good way to spend a Saturday. I did not regrettably make the top eight, but it was a lot of fun. It was also at the host's house, which has like a pool and a bar and we ordered pizza and uh, there was like a massage chair. It was like this incredible just day of hanging out, playing magic, got some EDH in between rounds. It was just you need that to recharge once in a while when you're just on the content grind or like crunching legacy result data and like complaining about Ragavan, like all that other shit that just burns your rope. It's just like, yeah, just go draft with your friends three times a day and play EDH and swim in between rounds. That's a good day of magic. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Those recharge days are so important. That's what yesterday was for me. I went over to my friend's house. who was also the DM for our D&D campaign. I went over there at like, two played smash bros for like four hours had dinner played D D till 12 or 1 in the morning it's just like okay i feel good now the way the weight of the yeah. world has lifted a bit i know bryant watches ted lasso but there was a scene in a recent episode where the the captain of the the soccer team was in a funk and the coach took him to like the neighborhood soccer pitch and was just like get out there fuck around play soccer for fun like the, these are just like neighborhood people. Forget about winning. Forget about your salary. Forget about your sponsors. Just go play soccer. And it it defunct him. And like I feel that now. I feel that energy. That's exactly how last weekend felt for me. I am glad you're watching Ted Lasso. It's so fucking good. It really is one of the best things on TV right now. So last week I top aided a local 2K with the Epic Storm, and I literally like lost in top eight grabbed my bag, grabbed my winnings for the store credit, went home, picked up my wife, and we drove to the Adirondack Mountains where I had no cell phone connection for the night. We drove home. We got home Sunday at like 4.30 in the afternoon, and I had finally gotten internet connection again. Uh, Once we got home, I was driving so I can look at my phone, and there's just like dozens and dozens of messages being like, you haven't been online, everything okay, (laughs) like stuff like that, (laughs) and like, you haven't responded to any Discord messages, and I was just like, wow, people are really concerned if I'm like dead or not after like, you know, 24 hours of not being connected. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I'm really good at not creating that suspicion because I'm really terrible at responding to anything anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm just really busy. I honestly feel bad some amount of the time that i have this really awesome active discord community and i see them like talking to each other all day every day and i usually pop in like on the toilet or right before bed and i just respond to as many things as i can like throw as many like thumbs up or 
Boston Roll eBotes as I can to things that have been said, and then I fall asleep. I really need to uh, make time to just like play EDH with them or something. I keep wanting to just like jump in the the voice channel, go live stream storybook ball and just hang out or whatever but man there's no time yeah Yeah. i'm pretty active in the storm discord uh they pushed me to make the new epic storm mini token pack which was one of my updates it's out i've sold a bunch of them already like at least like 70 so if you want one they're selling pretty quickly definitely go get one and the big thing that they pushed me for was adding in ave tokens so that way you don't have to fumble around with dice that they're already a two two a three three etc so they're pretty cool how big did you make them? All the way up to an 11-11. All right. Pretty strong. Yeah. I like it. What happens when your opponent dresses down in response to that, though? I've been told that dress down wrong. doesn't do... I don't know. Like, people have been giving me varied information. Like, Anurag had the stream where he's like, dress down kills all the Ave tokens. Ave sucks. Uh, it doesn't do that. It just makes them two twos. Okay. Yeah, but like then people on my videos are like, no, that's inaccurate. Like, dress down doesn't do anything. Like, I honestly just don't know. If it ever happens, I'm just going to call a judge. Yeah, uh, dress down. Uh, the rules, if something affects how something would be when it comes into play, the rules look at the object as it would exist in play when making decisions as it enters play. That's why, like, uh, Urborg, your land your shock land comes into play untapped without paying two land a two life it's just a mountain and the game sees it will be a mountain before you have to make any decisions about what a mountain would do so dress down does just nuke stone coil serpent walking ballista it all your av tokens will be two twos like that's just how that works okay but yeah call a judge that's always a good plan yeah i'm not afraid to and like i know some people get really hurt like butt hurt when your opponent calls a judge like if i'm calling a judge i probably just don't know how something works like it's something against you that or you're playing super slow and i want to force you to play faster so that that is on you be offended uh yeah for sure uh my my rules of legacy video i posted uh, a few weeks back that's like one of the first things i say before i've been talking about any legacy rules i'm just like calling a judge doesn't make you a jerk your opponent's not a jerk if they call a judge just just do it shut up yeah we want to play correctly my last update was I've had a bunch of people uh, complaining about the Epic Storm loading slowly. There was this issue we had, so we reverted to an old uh, database, and that's made the issue even worse. So I am, as we talk right now, I am on a live chat support with my hosting company trying to get this problem solved. So my apologies to anyone that felt like the site loaded slowly. It's probably going to be fixed by the time this is live, hopefully, knocking on wood. And, uh, yeah. All right, um, let's just hop into things then. So this is a mailbag episode, so we're going to be seeing a little bit of everything. Uh, We've tried to group them together at least a little bit topically, so there's some amount of flow, but, you know, you get what you get. And here we go. First one is from Jack D., who asks, What are the defining characteristics of fair versus unfair decks in Legacy? And I have a stock response that I give when someone asks about fair and unfair decks. And my starting point for this conversation is any good legacy deck is at least a little bit unfair. And sometimes it's more it's more of an honest fair, and you're just like cheating on mana with something like an ancient tomb or an ether vial. And sometimes you're fully down that unfair spectrum 
of like I am trying to kill you on turn one with my Goblin Charbelcher or my Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, my answer to that would be how many games do you plan for or how many turns do you plan for a game to last or how many turns will it take you to reduce your opponent's life total to zero? Like, or, you know, whatever your wink on is. Like, I think anyone who's like attacking, blocking, engaging in combat and like attack you seven times from 20 with my three one creature, that's a fair deck. If like I want to play one turn like Belcher or I want to play any number of turns, but win in all at once like Omnitel, like, I think the number of turns it takes to win either total game count or over what number of turns does it take you to actually kill your opponent? That's what I would be looking at for fair or unfair. I often use the fundamental turn instead. Like for I'd a agree lot of, with that. For a lot of decks, the game is decided by, say, turn three if you are an unfair deck. And sometimes that's because, like, you have pushed the advantage hard enough where the game is over, you know? When Red Prison has a crazy start and goes, like, Rabble Master into Rabble Master into Rabble Master or, or something like that, you know? Or, or maybe one fewer Rabble Master, but like they go Rabble Master into Rabble Master and you don't have an answer for it. Like that game is over. It might take two more combat steps to end it or something, but you know, the damage is done at that point. Wow, we're getting into it on the first question. I think Red Prison is a fair deck. Like I, I think that Goblin Rabble Master, where you, your opponent and you can see, even if it happens quickly, even if it happens ahead of curve, it's just like, okay. I'm taking one this turn, I'm taking four next turn, I'm taking, like, you can math out your life total as a resource, what answers you have, try to line things up over multiple turns. Like, to me, unfair is like, oh, they untapped with Wishclaw Talisman, we're done. Or, you know, show and tell resolved, we're done. That That's just where I am with that. Yeah, I, I, I consider that deck, like, borderline. Like, you're you're pushing it, you're not too, like, full all-in degenerate combo or anything, but, you know. I think the fundamental turn thing is very interesting because I think the fundamental turn exists between two decks in which there's a key turn that matters and it's likely going to define the rest of the game. Uh, for example, a Dreadhorde Arcanist Legacy, the fundamental turn was solidly turned to. Like, that was the turn that mattered the most in the game. And it really depends on what the matchup is and, like, the format average in a way. But... Uh, my answer for fair versus unfair is a little bit different. Brian and I have had uh, a little bit of a heated exchange in the past on this, but I think it's also often defined by like the number of free spells in a way. But with there's a large number of new free spells in the game. They create sometimes unfair characteristics, but that doesn't mean that they're unfair decks. For example, in modern, there's this elemental deck where you're cheating in a four four in a play that's going to turn that's going to kill all of your opponent's creatures and then it does the same thing on the next turn that's a little bit unfair that said the elementals deck also wins sort of slowly like it's not a deck that's going to kill you on turn three but it's doing unfair things so i think there's likely a greater thing that matters and it's not just like your deck is either fair or unfair and that's the lines yeah i would agree that being black and white, this deck is fair or unfair, isn't helpful in high power formats like Modern and Legacy. But at the same time, you all just got your money's worth because we gave you three totally different answers. So pick your favorite and enjoy that. Thanks, Jack D. The next question, and I'll just lob this one right over to Phil, is from uh, Mize Gomez. 
I think. Uh, that's how they're pronounced. In your opinion, what would need to happen for Eldrazi Stompy, Dragon Stompy, and other non-blue chalice decks to make a comeback? So, in the past, I don't know, maybe it's four years at this point, Prison has really fallen out as a strategy. We've gotten an additional Force of Will effect that makes the turn one chalice wins less likely to happen. We have gotten Force of Vigor, which is, you know, a, a pitch answer to these things. We've gotten better answers than we've ever had to Chalice of the Void that are that are main deckable. It used to be like, oh, okay, this is a bug deck, so my Chalice isn't good here. And now it's like, oh, this is a deck with Prismatic Ending, my Chalice isn't good here. Or this deck has Teferi, or... and the list goes on and on and on. And Legacy decks are also closing games faster than they've done in the past, you know? You might have the game locked down for 10 turns, and then your opponent plays an 8-8 Merktide Regent, and you're like, oh shit, I'm dead in two turns to that. I, I, don't, I don't have an out to this right now. Like, that's, that's the end. Um, the so Mer if it... Go ahead. The Merktide thing is, uh, I can relate to that sometimes, because I'll be, like, masterfully crafting this turn, then I'm going to set up a Galvanic Relay, and then on the following turn, I'll untap, and there's, like, 8-8 Merktide. And I'm like, oh, fuck. My plan just, like, went right down the drain. So I, I feel that. So if the Chalice decks are going to compete with the, you know, assorted blue decks that they used to kind of prey on, they need greater redundancy and consistency than what they have now. And that's really hard in the non-cantrip decks. I also don't think we're super likely to get too many cards that super power up these sorts of decks. You know, I, I don't think we're going to get another, you know, colorless Chalice of the Void sort of card with a different name and slightly different effect. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm gonna pause you there. I think that you will get those effects. They're just not as common as other printings. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that this is a perfect example, but Brian has strong opinions on Void Mirror. That is the type of card. Like, it's not main deckable, but like those effects could come out like once every few blocks. Like at some point, one of them is going to be playable, right? Sure. We got Sorcerer's Spyglass. What five years ago? And two more times since then. Yeah, but Magic Design is at a place right now where they want people to play Magic, contrary to how it seemed for a number of years in the early days. Like printing cards like Force of Will, Thorn of Amethyst, uh, Sphere of Resistance, Tanglewire. Like cards like that. Like Thorn of Amethyst was in Lorwyn because it was a creature set, and like this is a pretty safe place to drop this in. Lorwyn also gave us like Gaddock Teague so they were experimenting with some ways to interact with spell decks with your creature deck which was made sense thematically for a block without breaking standard but a card like Chalice of the Void I we it would have to show up in a commander set or a modern masters or modern horizons because that's just not how they make cards anymore we're not going to get a Trinisphere in standard a standard legal Trinisphere variant ever which <laughs> I think I'm okay with they want people to cast spells, attack, and block. I would find it more likely that the hate bear style decks continue to get better at a rate that is acceptable than that the prison decks would continue to get better. Like, there are hate bears of all kinds, all varieties, and occasionally a few of them slip into legacy, even if they're just, like, sideboard or metagame options. I have uh, two thoughts on this, and... The first was, when you look at a deck like Eldrazi Stompy, those cards were legal for years, a very long time, that just like outside of red aggro Stompy, 
didn't really see a whole lot of play. And then Eldrazi happened, and those creatures were aggressive enough, and they were large enough that they pushed the boundary into making this deck a new archetype, and I hated it. Screw Eldrazi. But they were disruptive enough, too, because they had Thought Not Seer. I think potentially maybe a new tribe or whatever, like Eldrazi, that are even bigger and stronger and more disruptive could also like have that sort of effect because the disruption just wasn't artifacts like Chalice of the Wind and Trinosphere, which is my next point. Part of the reason I hate Karn so much is that it's so difficult to answer. It's not an artifact. It's a Planeswalker. It has a lot of loyalty. You can't bounce it with a Hercules Recall or hit it with Abrupt Decay. So non-disruptive permanents like Karn could make those decks come back if they weren't just like, two-man artifacts they get blown up by force of vigor or prismatic ending so more effects like that would make my life miserable but that's what those decks would need well that would make your life miserable but let me tell you i board out karns a lot because when your opponent is playing something like a delver deck it's just yeah. like oh, yeah, when shit, they have this any Karn creature in their deck yeah uh frequently like yeah uh we we don't need to get back into the monostorm perspective of legacy again uh but but yeah like karn is specifically very good against a deck like storm for sure uh but the the prison aggro decks these days are like humans primarily like that's where you want to be that blue white meddling mage deck that someone mentioned earlier this episode like meddling mage and uh the the 3-1 paulo whatever that card's called thalia like those that's just a better way to play decks like this all right. We spent a lot of time on that easy question. <laughs> We're going to have to pick this up. Yeah, we said in the in the show notes, should we cut that question? And I was like, no, nah, I can answer it in like two or three sentences. Anyway. Yeah, great. Um, All right. Next one is from uh, James Shu, who says, Today's modern, Today, modern innovations feed into legacy meta development, both literally from sets like Modern Horizons and the work done by various format grinders. How would you suggest players stay tuned into the legacy format in 2021, and how is this different from a few years ago? I'll, I'll start here with a few years ago. So, a few years ago, if you watched the Star City Opens on the weekend, and you read a handful of articles that came out during the week, and maybe browsed the source a little bit, you were very well informed. And now things are totally different. Yeah, a lot of it's now looking over like deck dumps and staying in tuned with like magic Twitter, which is pretty toxic. But that's where a lot of the information is being released. Uh, a lot of it's private nowadays. It's in, you know, segmented discords where people are keeping their innovations hidden. Unlike the source where you could read what people were doing from other archetypes and it made you you know, more in tuned with how people are trying to beat you, that sort of thing. And that's just not really how things are anymore. A weird amount of it goes down in places like, you know, Facebook chats and, and stuff like that. People's private, like, Patreon, Discord servers and, and such. You have to hunt for the information that you want a little bit harder than you used to. Also, and Joe Dyer's content is great. Like he really does scrape all of the major events, give you the data of who's playing what, if you want that sort of thing. And I, there's a giant fork in this question, which we've talked about on the podcast before, which is, are you staying in tune with Magic Online Legacy? Like, are you trying to win a super PTQ on Magic Online? 
or are you trying to uh, top eight your local event? Because those are completely different questions where like on Magic Online, you have to beat Ragavan Delver because that's tier zero and everything skews off of that in one way or another. And in your local meta, uh, like like my local meta, I mentioned there were as many Jeweled Lotus as Delver of Secrets in the last Legacy tournament that I played in locally. And like, it, you just need to, like, what do you want to be in tune to? Do you want to have just a reasonable, powerful thing? Uh, honestly, if you just play Legacy once a, once a month at your local, build Ragavan Delver. Build the, the Is It deck and just farm everyone. Uh, like, uh, there's a lot of levels to this. All right. Um, so our next question is from Tamarok, who asks, are there any general legacy sideboarding principles that have improved your outcomes? This could be a whole episode. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I will, yeah, uh, I'll basically just sum this up quickly as just knowing your role is what matters. Knowing what your opponent's trying to do and your best way to counter it or do your own thing in spite of it. Uh, like, People who think that, like, uh, surgical extraction is the famous example. It's like, hashtag don't surgical that is an entire Twitter thing. Uh, when when people are just like, fatal push your Tarmogoyf and then surgical extract it, it's like, okay, I win now. Like, uh, knowing what's important is is what matters. And part of that is knowing what other decks are doing as well as knowing what your own deck is doing. Just get, know the format, know your role and stick to it. I've, I've, I've got one that I, I really developed once I started doing a lot of donation deck lists and that's understanding how a card works differently in two different decks. Uh, a card like veil of summer doesn't always do the same thing. Uh, so, for example, you might be using Veil of Summer to protect yourself from discard, or you might be using Veil of Summer to like set up a turn where you can successfully resolve a show and tell. And understanding that like a card has multiple uses, and that sometimes the use case from one deck doesn't transfer over well. So, for example, if you are a like green mid range tap out, I have you know things going up the curve until five. Are you actually going to have the mana to cast that Veil of Summer that you put in your sideboard? No. Probably not. So I'd say, like, making sure you really understand what a card is doing in your deck is really important. Because I, I have a lot of leagues where I play, and I look at the sideboard and I go, like, okay, now that I've played a round or two with this deck, I just know I will literally never sideboard in these two cards. I'd rather under-sideboard than over-sideboard. I think too many people in this game over-sideboard. For sure. All right, so the next question is from Andy R. And I know that Brian's fired up to respond to this one. Since the three of I'm you... I'm coming in hot. <laughs> since the three of you are eternal magic enthusiasts and Legacy is in a bad state since Wizards of the Coasts fucks up the format for sales, why don't the three of you try out pre-modern slash old school as eternal, uh, safe formats and give us a bit of content and your own opinion on them? Okay. I I just want to start by fundamentally disagreeing with the premise of this question that Legacy is in a bad state and Watsy fucks up Eternal formats for sales. I like Legacy. I think that Delver is a little too good, which we've been saying for months and you know, years if you really want to talk about the Delver shell again, which I don't. But uh, there's some things that seem a little unhealthy, but I love Legacy. 
I like endurance. I like prismatic ending. I like force and negation too. Get wrecked, Brian. But like, there's just the idea that it is fucked up or bad because it's different than it was during like Innistrad. Like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't really agree with that premise. I'm not married to an era of these formats and there's support like pre-modern old school like what those don't really appeal to me in the sort of ways that legacy does or modern does or vintage does like those are just like you have to have friends who play that and you have to have enough of them that it's interesting to do over and over again and i've played pre-modern like when a friend has a deck like here you play blue green madness i'll play whatever this is and like okay cool this was fun for one round, but I don't have the time or energy to invest in a format that is not going to pay me back. And I don't think that legacy is in such a bad state that I need to pursue some like wild niche thing that was invented by the community. Like If that's your thing, go for it. I, there's nothing wrong with those formats, but I have, I have dipped into them in content. I played Penny Dreadful, and I had to turn down a pre-modern because nobody watches that stuff. Like when I branch out, you might love pre-modern, but it's not a real format that people want to watch. So like, it, it's a giant spew to spend any amount of content creation effort on that sort of thing. And it's time that I just don't really have. But again, all of that assumes that I hate Legacy and Wizards fucks it up for sales, which I don't agree with either of those foundational premises of the question. So... I'd like to rewind to something that Brian said uh, towards the beginning of that, which is that people are married to certain eras of legacy that they fall in love with and they feel like it shouldn't change. I had an interesting conversation with Dave Baruta on Twitter last week where Dave talked about really liking magic and legacy as a whole when the format was more stack centric than permanent based and which is everyone's allowed to their own opinion and Dave certainly has a reasonable one. I don't think there's anything wrong with that opinion. That said, if we think back to when Legacy was at its highest, Star City was streaming Sunday Legacy every single weekend. People were loving it. And the format was decent, whatever, Miracles era. But a lot of the interaction was stack-based. And, you know, there was some permanent-based stuff, but for the most part it was, you know, spells, Miracles, Storm, etc. And the way that wizards prints cards is permanence are have always been like the way that the game has changed. Like you went from, you know, spells that do things to creatures with those effects and then creatures with tact on card advantage. We were always going to get more permanent based. So like that spell based era was definitely something of the nineties and permanence have been coming ever since that star city era. So I wouldn't like be like, well, it's not what I fell in love with. Even when you were in love with that era, that era was already changing to what we're getting now. Instead of playing Predict, you're playing Ice Fang Quaddle because it's just that card advantage tacked onto a creature. Or Uro. Like, those things are different from what we had, you know, 10 years ago. You're not playing, uh, I don't know, uh, Concentrate. You're playing Uro or whatever. But it was never going to say the same to begin with, so it's best to just change and adapt with it. There's also the rose-colored glasses looking back through nostalgia. Miracles was bullshit. Sensei's Divining Top and Counterbalance, that wasn't good magic. Survival of the Fittest, just having like a 60-plus percent win rate against the entire legacy field, that was not good magic. Like, there was cool stuff happening, but there's still cool stuff happening. And it just... 
we could spend an episode on this too. This is a deep question. Just uh, the the fundamental premise of you know since legacy is ruined, what do you guys think about pre modern? Like, I just don't think legacy is ruined. To answer the rest of the question with the one thing I want to add that we haven't touched on yet is that it is so much easier to make content for Watsi supported formats. If I want to make a legacy or modern or vintage video, I go to Magic Online, I click Join League. And I play against five players, and that's that. If I want to go and make like a pre-modern video or something like that, that's me trying to hunt down at minimum one other person, preferably like get five other decks, five, like five other players, or someone with a rental account in there to like try to do that. And uh, let me tell you, cooperative content is way more time-consuming than you think, especially if you start getting things like other people's audio involved. All right. Our next question comes from Duocat, who asks, what's the hardest skill to learn uh, when you're new to formats like Legacy and Vintage? How to mulligan. That's a yeah, good that, one. that's fair. Uh, I mean, isolating the hardest skill to learn, I, I guess that is the knowing the card pool and what all the decks do. I think that is like, if you're stepping out of standard and it's like, holy crap, what is this? Like in my videos, I get a lot of comments that are like, my opponent led on some weird creature, and I just named like 35 of the cards of their deck based on that weird creature. It's like, oh yeah, only one deck in all of Magic's history has played. I'm trying to think of some example, and I, I like, can't even. It's just like, but it happens all the time. It's like, oh, uh, Tireless Tribe hits play. What is your opponent playing? Right, yeah, it, it's like Dredge or uh, Cephalid Breakfast. Like, that, like that's the sort of thing. Like, you just see these little things and you go down these branches of like, okay, I can guess half their deck and their general strategy based on this one drop or this land they played. Like, wait, why, are, why is City of Brass in play right now? What deck would need access to that in 2021? Like, that is, I think, the deepest thing to stepping into a higher power format. The thing that comes to mind for me is when not to do something so for example when can i afford to not force of will this spell i think those sorts of things that come from like matchup experience and really knowing the ins and outs are are hard to learn like a, a lot of times when i'm recording a vintage video I'll, I'll hit a decision point and i'm like i don't have the reps to know whether or not i i need to counter this or whatever um a lot of those things just take raw time and experience and you can't just like instantly latch on to those sorts of things and that is a sub skill of the knowing what all the cards and decks do macro skill at the end of the day and i think everything mostly will be like do i wasteland do i not wasteland do i daze do i not daze do i play around daze like all of those are just subsets of the what do all the decks do question I have gotten so many comments on my videos that go along the lines of, you forgot to Wasteland. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm playing no. towards my out of drawing this four drop in my deck, and I need this mana more than my opponent does. Yeah, since, since you brought it up, I have gone on kind of a like savage spree of just like presenting. I, I went for a long time ignoring just like blatantly aggressive uh play uh quote unquote um i i don't even know like uh better lines that the comments found than me and once in a while it's like oh yeah you're right i did miss that like sure i'm not perfect but i had like a really aggressive one that was like 
you had Animate Dead and Pact of Negation in your hand. Why didn't you go for the World Gorger? And I'm just like, there was a relic of Progenitus in play. <laughs> uh, my my $500 playoff with Kai, there was a turn where I cast Ponder, he cast Pact of Negation, he had exactly five lands in play and two of them were tapped, and they were like, you know there's a Back to Basics on top of your deck, just Abundant Harvest, name non-land, jam Back to Basics, and you win. Three or four different people pointed out that line, and I'm like, I had either Sworn Canonist in play. <laughs> I had already cast a spell. Like, just... Yeah, chill. I don't know how we got on that, but th that was uh, tickling the back of my brain. It's been a an aggressive week from the commenters who are just like not interested in acknowledging the permanents that are on board. I had a pretty funny comment this week, which was, uh, and this is the direct quote, LOL, you didn't read a single card in this video. Like, I didn't know that was like a baseline for making magic content that you just need to read every card as it's played. Like, maybe other content creators do this. I, I don't, so... Uh, watch somebody else. Alright. Our next question. Uh, this is from the Mind Chasm. What major flags do you use to read a metagame? Do you focus on individual warping cards or broader data? Mr. Spreadsheet, you wanna you wanna cover this one? Sure. Uh I well as Phil alluded to, I'm someone that just looks at data. Um I look at magic a lot like I look at fantasy baseball, look for trends, look for things that are, you know, statistical anomalies and then just like try to find a good sample size and find some meaning out of it that said sometimes uh the data doesn't give you anything and you just have to you know make an educated guess based on the weekend a lot of those star city grinders just make good guesses and then spike uh sometimes that's what you need to do as well yep if you're warping if the metagame is warping around a particular card that's probably a slightly unhealthy metagame like i think that we might be around there with uh, Ragavan currently. Like if your deck doesn't have a good plan to Ragavan or you have lots of great spells that can steal or no early answers to it, uh, that's probably not a deck you should play in this metagame. But yeah, I, I do the same thing as Bryant, probably less formally than him. I just sort of pull up Goldfish and see what the, the front page of the metagame looks like. I'm not in spreadsheets or anything. I'm not studying win rates. Like I, I just kind of know what I need to beat and make sure my deck can do it. And also at the same time, like while while learning the meta and knowing the meta is important, like the card pool in Legacy is stupid big. So make sure you don't tunnel vision on just beating two decks and then you lose to the person who like goes, ha ha, Knight of the Reliquary, go big, big. Yeah, uh, Anurag just uh, yesterday, top forward or top eight, he, he did well in the, the PTQ with his four color expressive iteration miracles bant whatever that is monstrosity and uh, he tweeted like i beat delver a bunch of times lost to rug Aloran and urza echo it's like well you didn't plan for those what's wrong man you didn't you didn't read the metagame right like come on <laughs> it's legacy stuff's gonna happen uh tom pep makes fun of me for that i build my cyborgs and a lot of my decks to beat the winner's metagame he's like but what happens when you face infect around 10 and i'm like my plan is that i don't like, sometimes you just lose to, you know, somebody having a good event, but also, like, I don't think you're supposed to prepare for everything. Yeah, and that, we've talked about this before, too. That's a deck selection choice. A deck like the Epic Storm that really needs to dedicate specific answers to specific problems and you have limited deck space because so much of your deck space is your core combo. Like, that's a totally different thing. You have to make a meta call and stick to it and hope it hits. 
a deck like Bant that just has four swords to plowshares, four prismatic endings, six force of wills. It, like you get to, you have flex slots you can wiggle around with. Like you don't have to play three endurance. You don't have to play three Uro. You can put some Teferis or Narsens in the deck. Like you can wiggle around and you'll have game against everyone, which uh, is a deck selection choice. Like a perfectly tuned Epic Storm list will probably win more tournaments than a perfectly tuned Bant list, but Bant's not going to lose to like whatever the fuck tribal stompy they run into in round three or whatever which the epic storm just might not have a plan for that weekend and that's all just part of metagaming and deck selection all right our next one here what's an archetype you think is underplayed or underexplored uh, this is from expedition map i'll start here then uh so i think there's two i think Right when um, the new cards like Nettlesyst came out, we saw this huge resurgence of affinity, and then it just like dropped off the face of the earth because everyone was playing like meltdowns and stuff. And I think some of that has died down. And so, if you wanted to be messing around with affinity again and see if you could tune that stuff to be better and competitive, that's a reasonable place. And I also think these like blue white human adjacent decks might might have something real there i don't know like i i've got one league under my belt and the deck felt really good um that might be worth exploring more if you are an ether vial sort of player i'm going to go ahead and disagree a little bit with you phil so yesterday when playing in the ptq i had been boarding in abrupt decay all day versus delver decks and i said i haven't seen a single null rod yet i should check goldfish i looked at the t the top 12 deck lists one out of those 12 had an all rod in it. And I go, hmm, that's pretty weird. However, they all had one to two copies of Meltdown still, which I agree with you. It's a little bit weird considering how Affinity has mostly disappeared, but the Delver players, at least online, haven't adjusted to that. They're all still playing a bunch of Meltdowns. So are, are they just saga still that a card? Urza saga, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bant's playing two Dressdowns main and sometimes another in the board. Like You have to beat Saga and you have to do it with one card and meltdown is still the best thing to do that as for the actual question i don't know if i have a good answer maybe the hammer time deck because i think that deck could actually have potential but no one's really trying out there yeah as far as underexplored i feel like i do a lot of exploring through the donation deck model uh not and a lot of the times what happens is i'm just like pretty stoked about a 4-1 i got away with something here but at the end of the day uh, you, your deck really does have to hang with Day's Ragavan or uh, Doomsday. So underexplored is tough to really define or go down that road. Underplayed, though, I don't think enough people are playing Doomsday. Agreed. Even though it is like it is top of tier one flirting with s tier like i think it is one of the best decks in legacy and people are out there playing it you see it all the time and i still think it's underplayed i think that deck is better than anyone except the people who have hitched their wagon to doomsday like those people are on the right level with it but i, I think that doomsday is not played enough even though it is played a lot i know some doomsday experts and i've had to listen to their complaints recently of oh this effing opponent had Torpor Orb. And it's like, about time. Like, you yep. Doomsday people have been getting away with it for months for free, and now people are adapting to you. How's it feel? Tell me how's it feel. Come on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're circling back to the metagame questions and stuff. 
you gotta have real play against Doomsday if you want to play Legacy these days. Uh, either beat them first or have many multiple different types of interaction and uh, again that circles back to a deck like Bant just being solid against everything without really warping my deck uh, I played against Kai in that playoff I literally pulled the first 75 off Goldfish I did no tuning for Doomsday and the deck just had three dress down four endurance and six forces in it it's like okay we'll just play it like this and if you really want to beat Doomsday you could be playing to fairy or meddling mage or things that really shut them down uh or torpor orb to kotli honor guard it was mentioned in our last episode like i have a plan for doomsday because that deck's gonna get you if you're not serious about beating it and when you look at doomsday they don't actually play answers for things there's one massacre and one fatal push there are zero outs to torpor orb in the deck doomsday looks to beat you by using eight blue forces four days and then three discard spells so you have to get your thing to resolve, which is going to be very difficult. But once you do, you're golden. And the Sheldock Isle still dips around Torpor Orb if they're on that plan, which Kai was in our playoff. I know he likes that. It's just hardcast Emrakul is a nice sideboard plan against most of the things that beat Thassa's Oracle. All right. Our next question is from Xander for All, who asks, how do you feel about proxy legacy events at the local level? 100 that should be universal and standard yep, yep we all love it next question what are some common <laughs> oh, do you, does anyone actually want to say anything because i nope, think we're all no, just fine. like so what, what's left to good. say let people play all right uh next uh what are some common issues you see with legacy players especially the ones you've coached uh and this is from james again i asked for a follow-up on this i i asked if he meant issues like personality-wise or play-wise or both, because we've already touched on one of the issues I see with legacy players as human beings, which is like that you're a jerk if you call a judge mentality. Like, like I, I can respect not talking to cops, but judges aren't cops. They're actually there to help. Like, call the judge if there's a concern. Um, that, yeah, some of the issues I see with legacy players in legacy tournaments are just sort of this, like, feeling like we're still playing at the kitchen table even though we're in a sanctioned tournament with judges and prizes like that but i don't think that's what james was asking but i snuck it in anyway so one issue that i've seen uh through coaching specifically is there used to be these like unwritten rules of legacy from 2008 that some people are still very married to now like those like times have not changed for example you cast preordain then you cast ponder then you cast brainstorm that is not proper sequencing in 2021. Like, games are contextual. Sometimes one cantrip is better than another. Just play to what the game dictates, not the, just this rule that someone told you that was inaccurate. Um, I, I suppose if I was going to add one, um, and keep in mind I'm most, mostly done like D&T coaching, um, not, being not being able to answer the question, why did you do that? Or why do you want to do that? Well, I I think a lot of people when they're they're newer to a deck or they're newer to legacy, they're they have rough plans, but not they're not able to maybe articulate well like why do you want to play Stoneforge over Thalia or or vice versa. Um, and I think a lot of newer legacy players who you know are are, are trying to make those level ups can't quite articulate 
why they want to do the things they do. And sometimes that's from a lack of understanding, or sometimes that's just because, like, they've never been asked to actually do so before. Yeah, that's a great learning tool in general. I do that all the time. And just make the case. Like, I, like, what if, even if you're at the hand is like basic planes, basic planes, Thalia, no other two drop. It's like, why'd you play Thalia there? It's like, because I didn't have another two drop. Okay, good answer. <laughs> like, just get in the idea that you should be thinking about what you're doing before you do it. And even in my own content, I'm constantly just like describing the correct play one second after I made a different one. And it really just takes like one second of take a breath, assess the board. It's okay. Uh, casting spells just because you can is usually not right. Is slow down, I guess, is is the thing. Um, in in my coaching, I've definitely seen people like I had a a client who stuck a standstill on a stable board, and he was just like, "Fuck yeah, time to party!" And then immediately cast a spell into his own standstill on the next turn. See, like, like not keeping all of the information where it needs to be. Like the information was okay. My opponent can't cast spells now. How do I capitalize on this? And then just cast a spell into his own standstill, which is obviously a brain fart. He knew immediately what he did. Hopefully he hasn't done it again since, but it's just like, you got to track this stuff and slowing down will help you track it. All right. So the next one is a question for Phil, but this person is happy to hear everyone's opinion. In recent weeks, we've seen 80 card Yorian death and taxes rise to the top. They have personally loved it and found a lot of success but they wonder if it's a passing fad that will be adapted to, or is 80-card Yorion Death and Taxes here to stay? Um, I think the easiest way to put this is, moving forward, Yorion should be something that is in your pile of cards that you actively consider for the deck. Um, I know, personally, I'm not super interested in playing Yorion in any deck, more or less. Um, I, I don't love what Yorian does to your deck building constraints. And for those times where, like, I have one card that I need to draw this turn or I am dead playing to your outs, those sorts of situations, the Yorian builds often end up being a lot worse for those sorts of things. There are, there are great benefits to playing Yorian. And, like, if I was testing for a tournament, I would be testing Yorian and non-Yorian builds both. Um, I don't love the Yorian versions of the deck personally. I think I mentioned this last week, but I love them. Thank you for showing me that you were playing Death and Taxes. Please continue doing so. Big fan. Yeah, that is a, that is a huge cost. Yeah, definitely. It's just like, remember Gataxian Probe? <laughs> Here it is. Take a look. I'm on Death and Taxes. Uh, but yeah, as a as the Fair Blue representative to this commission... I will say that the Yorian build is much scarier than the 60 card build. Just that end game of Vial up to five, Vial in solitude, put Yorian in hand, Vial in Yorian, flicker my solitude, pick up Yorian with Caracas. Like that shit is scary. And the traditionally built Bant decks can't beat it. The the updated Bant build that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I built largely specifically with Yorian taxes in the front of my head with decisions I made building that deck, because I do think that Yorian taxes is one of the holes in the way Bant, stock Bant is built right now. Uh, one other thing I will add though, uh, if you are playing in a metagame where there is a lot of death and taxes, 
you probably want to be playing the Yorian. Because if your opponent has an extra card and you don't, and the games go real long, things can get spooky. For sure. Alright, the next one. What is one card each of you wish would work in Legacy that isn't quite there or maybe needs more support? Uh, and this is from Zachary Issam. Ooh, well, a long pause. None of us seem to have a quick answer to this available. And I think that this circles back to the since Legacy sucks question, kind of, insofar as like, you're asking this question of three people who play the format that exists, not a format that doesn't. And just wishing that a card, like, I, I don't have a pet card. Like, I miss uh, taking people to Brown Town with Monastery Mentor, but I understand that's not really front and center to the format right now. Um, and it might still have life in it somewhere, but I, I don't have just like, oh, I wish I could build a Helix Pinnacle deck that was just viable. I, I have nothing like that. I It's not for me personally, but growing up, I played a lot of Magic with Adam Barnello, and Adam had a stack of Paradigm Shifts, and he would always repeat, this card's going to be broken one day. And we were all just like, sure, dude, yeah. Like, it had the potential to always be broken. They printed Thassa's Oracle, and it's still not the best thing you can do with Oracle. So sometimes you have these grand plans for cards that you wish were playable, and then they're still just not the best thing you can be doing. So uh, don't build that hype up for yourself. I wish the Douthy Voidwalker decks were better, because I think Douthy Voidwalker is a really cool and really fun magic card. Um, but notice I'm using cool and fun as my adjectives here um that's that's a card that i i thought was going to be a little bit better than it was and then i started playing with it and it was like ah but why isn't it white phil white deserves everything white is entitled to rest in peace bear it's it's okay they'll they'll give me like a black color shifted thalia in this new innistrad set right and then i can play like black white taxes and have eight of them that sounds great just dead thalia Next question, also from Zachary Isom. The question of format health comes up quickly after a powerful card is introduced to the format these days. Has this reaction of format health always come up this quickly and vehemently, or was Legacy slower to rage back in 2013? Well, uh, Twitter wasn't quite as much of a thing in 2013. I think that's the problem. It, I think less than the format players freaking out more quickly you just have more people who have a bigger platform to make noise on and the these questions are kind of skewed because we asked for mailbag questions on twitter so that's where you're getting a lot of these hot takes like the the survey is uh is biased based on the the group that was surveyed and uh, i just think that if it was 2013 and we had like some star city opens and stuff, uh, like I think the heat around Ragavan would be lower. I think that probably Bob Wong and, uh, Dan Gotchel would be winning star city opens left and right with Ragavan while the rest of the format is still trying to play decks from three months ago. And it, it would be as chalked up to just those guys being sickos to Ragavan being broken, but the, just the the Twitter access, Twitter community, and general more ban op, open to banning philosophy in general. Um, banning was like a rare thing that was done in dire circumstances for most of Magic's history, and then 
starting a couple years ago, it was just like, yeah, we'll just ban six cards out of standard, whatever. Like it, the history of cards being banned in standard was like Jason Stoneforge. And then you have to go all the way back to like 2004 and you get the affinity stuff. And I don't even know what was banned before that in standard, probably something out of Urza block. It, there was not a lot of standard banning until recently. And then they're just like, yep, fires of invention, Oko, Uro, Field of the Dead, just all of these cards just getting chucked. Uh, just Reflector banning is much Mage. more on the table. Yeah, Reflector Mage. Uh, Rampaging Ferocidon banned in standard, by the way. You- uh, yeah, there's just like a lot of things that. Do you remember uh, the Gideon metagame? They're like, well, it rotates out in six months. Like, that was just like whatever when accepted. Yep. Ride it out, folks. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, that's. And I think that's okay because in the past, Magic was printed for standard and limited. And those of us in high powered formats understood that sometimes cards would get banned. And that's how you manage. You can't test for everything. And. I don't expect Wizards to test for Legacy if they print Underworld Breach and it's cool for Modern and cool for Vintage, but too good for Legacy. Like, yeah, good run. Just ban it. Not a big deal. But now cards are printed for Commander and li- for Limited instead of for Standard and Limited. So now Standard is just subject to that if it's a problem, we'll ban it mentality. And just seeing more bans lets people think that calling for bans is more on the table and it. It actually is, so it's it's not out of line. There's also that. the fact that the way that Magic is played is very different from 2013 as well, where like you had one event every weekend that mattered, and things were just slower. Nowadays, you have several large events every week. There's leagues that people collect data on, and the information that we have is just so much greater than what we had in 2013. So the pace of deck development, the deck development, I can't talk right now, moves a lot quicker, and. Back then, you had the source, which was just a bunch of people on a forum, you know, making hypotheses without actual data. So th- just how things have changed, I guess, is my point. All right. Our next one is what are the most overrated cards in legacy sideboards and or and or are relics of old formats? Uh, and just... Surgical extraction. This is from. Welcome S- to your second appearance. Soyo Romulus. Yeah, I think Surgical Extraction is a card that used to be just every Legacy sideboard started with two, unless you were doing something really specific, like being a combo deck. Uh, But yeah, that card, I just don't really see it anymore. I think Endurance is doing a lot of the work that it was doing in at least my style of deck. Or other cards like uh, Fairy Macabre have been adopted uh, to play around Days or uh, other forms of interaction. Just surgical isn't what it once was it might also be because black isn't what it once was but surgical is only kind of a black card so what do you guys think from the combo perspective fluster storm it's a card that i feared for the better part of a decade and now like one is a lot of copies to find in somebody's 75 it's just like kind of crazy if they're playing any at all mine is carpet of flowers like we we spent so much of last year just saying like this is the best sideboard card in the format you should be playing this it's so good in the blue mirrors it's so good versus delver and now just like one mana prismatic ending get rid of it since it's in some of the delver decks it's in these dragon rage channeler mush decks it's in the the bant decks like it, it's everywhere and that that advantage is just not nearly as consistent as it used to be 
So this is like a sub question for the two of you. Do you think that people do enough experimenting when copying and pasting decklists? Because we get people's full 75s published to Goldfish. So when researching decks, I find that people just like literally play somebody else's 75 and then you get a string of them, like six or seven of the same 75 without any adjustments. Do you think people yeah, absolutely. should oh, change? Filthy net deckers. I mean, I love it. But do you think those people should experiment more with like changing out bad cyborg cards or is it just like, yeah, this person did well. It's still doing well. Let's all play the same 75. That is a tough question. Should is like a really heavy word to ascribe to like any situation. Um, Should. (laughs) This is kind of like should uneducated people be casting votes. (laughs) Like if you really want to like chase this uh, wider question down to its end, like should a random person who is like, oh, there's a PTQ, I'll play legacy, whatever. Should that person be changing the stock Delver list that's been crushing in the hands of Gouldicott or whoever for the last three weeks? Probably not. Like, should someone who has done their, like, should Gouldicott adjust his sideboard for his expected metagame? Absolutely. Like, uh, should is tough. Like, oh, why aren't there any surgicals in this deck? I'll add two. Like, that's the sort of thing that I think a rando just pulling a list would think. Uh, but there's probably a reason that Gouldicott is not playing surgical extraction. So, like, should is tough in that spot. I think so much of it comes down to, like, how much time do you have and how how invested are you really in Legacy? Like, do you actually know what you're talking about? You know, people like the three of us who are playing just absolutely so much Legacy, we're well experienced in, in tournaments, we have the pulse on the metagame, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, we can, we can probably futz with sideboards and do better than the average posted 75. But is the guy who's playing Thursday Legacy once a week at his local store going to do better by building his own list or by just grabbing one off a recent, you know, PTQ top eight or whatever? Yeah, they're probably going to do better with the, the the stock net decked list. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Our next question is from Memory Adrift, who asks, what decks function well without reserved list cards? Death and Taxes. Yeah, that's that's the easy one. That's the slam dunk one. If you, if you want like a top tier or very close to it deck at any given time and you don't want to use reserved list cards, that's that's the one. There are other decks that don't use reserved lists, but in a vacuum, if you were to, you know, make make a tier list of the non-reserved list decks, like Death and Taxes probably comes up at the top of that most of the time. Oops, a lot of the... spells. That's the second one. Yeah. There's it's tough because a lot of the decks that you would think right away, like, ah, Dredge or Belcher, like, no, those are Lion's Eye Diamond decks. And there's there's just always something like uh, Green-White Loam, like Mox Diamond deck, sorry, there's Savannah's in that deck. Like, there's always some reserve list creeping around somewhere. Uh, as far as decks that can be played with reduced reserve list cards, there are the things I just said, like, if you own a set of LEDs, there are a number of decks that you can play without dipping too far into the reserve list beyond it. Uh, I actually posted a past peer into the Abyss Storm list on my channel this week and market it as budget legacy because you don't need LEDs. And the comments were big mad because you do still need four dual lands. They're like, how can you call this budget when there's underground sea in the list? It's like, you're saving 2k on LEDs. You're welcome. There are like some places you can go if you just have like four or five dual lands or just leds and no duels but death and taxes is basically the only real deck with 
out reserve list in it. As someone who has visited the Abyss many of times, I will tell you, it's lovely all year round. Uh, you should definitely watch Brian's video. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was impressed by that deck. And uh, Marcus Ewald at Truckus, who is like partially responsible for developing that list, posted a really slow, interesting version on Twitter uh, that he would have played in the PTQ if he were able to play it. And it basically just has like Lotus Petal and Dark Ritual as fast mana. And it has like four forces, four predicts, four peer into the abyss. And it's just like a blue-black control deck that's just like, so at some point I'll peer. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. Brian's shaking his head, but I, I don't need to get into storm theory right now. It was just like, there are cool things you can do, it, circling back to the unexplored space. Like, follow people like uh, like Marcus if you want to check out some unexplored stuff. Uh, Callum Smith, also, at White Faces. Just really digging into those cool, different archetypes. All right. Our, our next one is is kind of a deep and heavy question. Uh, this is uh, from Min of MinMax Blog. Uh, given real life jobs, significant others, and other pulls in life, how do you balance your stringent regimen of quality content creation with the other aspects of your life? I don't sleep enough. That's the honest uh, answer. <laughs> so, it's it's really hard. Um, I I can't tell you like, oh yeah, it's just this one easy trick, and then everything balances out. Um, it it ends up looking like get home from work, record a match, eat dinner, see what the girlfriend's doing. All right, I can she, she I've got an hour. I can squeeze in four matches. All right, hang out with the girlfriend. All right, uh she's going to do something on her phone for 5 minutes. I'm going to pop into the other room and get this video processing. Oh, I woke up on Saturday morning. Okay, I should probably record a, a league. Um it it's hard. Like right now I'm I'm releasing content 5 5 days a week and I have to make sure that I, I leave time for my girlfriend. Otherwise, like, I, I could very easily just, like, go into recording mode and just, like, bust out videos. Um, one of the reasons why I've let... I've had to let some things go. Like, I, I used to stream, and I, I don't remember the last time I physically booted up my stream to interact live with people just because trying to squeeze in all the content that I'm doing is so much easier if I can stop and start. Yeah, not streaming... Uh, I mean, it's been almost two years since I went live on stream, and that's for a reason. Like, that was a, a major shift I made, breaking free of that streaming schedule. And I've already mentioned how I work my recording queue to work in time where I need to lay out the content in order that makes sense. Like, all of that is part of the balance. And I have something that kind of resembles a daily schedule that... I stick to and you need you need to be able to prioritize and put things in the fuck it bucket when you need to like if you're just burnt maybe you just don't record a video that day like it'll be okay come back tomorrow refresh yourself uh if you're miserable it's gonna t it's gonna show through in the content and it's not gonna be fun my girlfriend and I usually we will one of us will cook dinner and then we'll like sit and eat it together and then hang out and watch TV or movies or whatever for the rest of the night. And that's my hard cap on I'm done making content for the evening. Uh, like if I, I come home, get home from work around four. If I'm feeling it, I'll record a couple of matches, maybe get a whole video in before dinner time around six or seven. 
And if it's done by then, good job. If it's not, I'll revisit it tomorrow because that's the cap. And you just have to set these lines that you don't cross. And if the priorities change, like I mentioned at the top, that my day job's getting kind of tiresome. I'm I'm looking to change my day job to one that's more accommodating of letting me do this. And uh, there's a lot at play there, but generally it's prioritizing things. And I would basically rank my home life with my girlfriend above making sure I have a video queued out for three weeks or whatever. I also just like res- respect my mental health more than anything else. So like I had I've had a really busy two weeks because stu- school is just starting up. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take off Memorial Day. I'm just, like, not going to post a video that day. Like, add, add one day to my buffer. And, like, I, I've started playing Dungeons & Dragons just so I make sure that I, I, like, that's another activity that I wanted to do specifically so that I could be spending more time with my significant other. Uh, because as of a few weeks ago, that was just something she would do every week where, you know, she would disappear for six hours. And it was like, okay, this is my recording time. And then I realized, like, oh, man, this is a huge chunk of time I'm not spending together with my girlfriend on our weekends when she's free. And that that's one of the biggest reasons why I, I started doing that was to spend more time with her. It's a good call. So going back to my comment about not sleeping enough, uh, like the two of you, I juggle, you know, having a relationship along with content creation where we make dinner, we watch a couple episodes of TV. I might go record a league once I'm done with that. Mine are admittedly much shorter than yours. I'll go watch some more TV with the wife. She falls asleep around 10. I'll come back. I'll finish editing, processing, uploading. Then I have to do all the YouTube stuff, writing the descriptions, editing the captions, because the captions love to autocorrect storm to another word. And Uh, What word is that, by the way? uh, I'll let Brian say it, because he thought it was pretty funny. Welcome to the epicsperm.com. What's up, sperm fans? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, so I have to go through and edit all of the captions for every video now. And by the time I'm done, it's like 1 a.m., 1.30. And then I have to wake up and be ready for work by 8. I'm, I run on average five and a half, six hours of sleep, and then I recharge on the weekends. So I'm drained a lot of the time. But like, you know, content creation's a grind. All right, let's let's cut this off here before this turns into a whole episode, because like as three content creators, we we, we could go on for a while. All right. Uh, the next one is also from the Mind Chasm. How many iterations of a brew do you go through before you can be reasonably sure it has potential? One, I think like you get a lot of like, hey, is this playable or does this have legs the first time you play it? And if you adjust it and play it in another league and it's still not like slightly better than it was before it's probably not very good also again this depends on your definition of potential like could i go two and two at fnm and have fun doing it you could figure out that potential pretty quick and the fun of that deck could be iterating on it and that is the joy that that gets you if your goal is to win and it's fun for you to win I'm usually like a one and done or even sometimes just theory crafting the list. It's like, yeah, I don't see how this will be like Delver days on the play. Thus, it is unplayable. And again, like, are you a are you a brewer? Are you going to get joy out of brewing or are you a person who wants to win and you're going to be mad that you're losing? And that'll completely change the answer to the question. You will get the most information about a specific 75 from the first league or two you play with it. Like, 
so often doing like the donation decklist model like i i can play a five rounds with a league and i will i will know like what the biggest problems are with the deck almost immediately and the answer is usually like oh the mana was bad so you you get so much information about the potential of of a deck list and its biggest issues in your first league now if you're going like real deep like all right i am preparing for this gp that's when you 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 can start like spreadsheeting tracking data you know do your sideboard mapping and stuff like that and it becomes a much more involved process also these answers came from three people who have already indicated through earlier questions that we have that legacy understanding the fundamental building block understanding of like oh there's tireless tribe they're on dredge or cephalid breakfast like if you have that you can get where you need to go a lot quicker on a brew if you are just approaching legacy from zero you should probably not be trying to brew yet at all and just some amount of space in between um make sure you know what true north is like play four or five leagues with delper before you even try to mess around with anything else like make sure you understand legacy all right, um, I'm going to summarize the next question. Uh, the next question is from Ryan Johnston, uh, who essentially asks, there's no legacy in my area. What, what do I do? We've what, already what answered this. 100% proxy locals do it. Yeah, it, it usually starts out with you and one other person playing, and then you have an extra deck with you, and then you hand that to someone else, and they start trying it out, you know. It's it, it it's like trying to hook someone on some illicit drugs or something. First taste is free, kid. Get over here. Try some uh try some Belcher. Like, look, you can win on turn one. It's cool. Oh, you like that? Well, let me show you some other things. Yeah, this comes from the grassroots. If it if nobody is interested, it's probably largely because they don't know that it's there or they don't think it's accessible to them. A really cool thing I saw someone doing when Modern was first unveiled was they had like they printed out basically uh numbered lists it was like one through eight on a little square that slid into a sleeve and each number was a different deck so you could sleeve up 175 and you could just say like i'm playing deck number four this time and then like whatever the fourth line was on each card it's like this is amulet titan now, without switching decks or just leaving anything new, I'm playing deck number two, which is uh, Blue-Red Delver. And you could just like fit a million decks into a single sleeved pile and really get a lot of reps with a lot of different experiences. There's some a lot of prep work up front to make sure you set it up right, but that is a cool way to just expose people to legacy. Star City Games in Roanoke didn't have local legacy events for a long time, and so it ended up like me and a handful of other people setting up a like proxy full proxy legacy league and i think we ran that twice and then we had enough interest to actually get like in-person legacy local events so it was a hundred percent player driven like get the interest and the star will be happy to take your money yeah and the the phil summarized the question but uh, the person said that edh and standard are what's being played Look for the people who are pushing the the boundaries of EDH. Look for that strong pod, the one that's like really trying to smash each other. The people who are like wheel of fortuning with Niv Misset and stuff, and like, hey, you can do this as a competitive format. You don't have to navigate the EDH politics. Like, we do play to win over here. Let's let me show you some ideas on how you could do that. Like, maybe that's a place you could go. Want to still use those hole breachers? 
Yeah, we they're still legal where I come from. All right. We we do this next one kind of time to time over the podcast. Um, but from Jacob H, what's your well, let's just make it singular. What's your favorite magic memory, uh, casually or competitively? Just one that comes to mind, because like I, I know we all have so many. Uh, I won the finals of a Star City Open by casting a lethal grape shot, one at Vendillion Click and 20 at my opponent. Did they have worship in play or were you just stunting for the camera? Showboating. Okay. All right. That's fair. So one that I don't think I've mentioned because it was kind of earlier on in my competitive career. I remember showing up like I, I drove like 45 minutes to go to a, a local le- legacy event. And I saw there was like an underpriced slabbed Caracas in the case. And this was before my death and taxes deck was quite done. And so I paid $50 for this Caracas. Asked the like owner, hey, do you have a way I can open this? And he just like hands me a pocket knife and a screwdriver. And he says, yeah, go nuts. And so it's like 10 minutes before this event starts. And I'm sitting there like hammering away, trying to de-slab. Uh, it, was actually, it was actually two of them. De-slab two Caracases for my deck. It was just like... The, the silly, like, er, early tournament years sorts of things. I'll, I'll always smile at that. Last year, I bought a Japanese foil Snapcaster that was graded 8.5, and I had to watch, like, four or five videos on how to open up a graded case before I could actually open it. They're not easy. Oh, it, it was not pretty. <laughs> Absolute bloodbath. Right, how about Brian, you, Brian? you have one? Uh, I mean, again, this is so heavy, but... uh. I will choose a memory more adjacent to magic, like the friendships we make along the way, the gathering. Um, My friend Chris, he likes to ad lib stupid little songs uh, where uh, he'll just like sing about whatever's happening in front of him. And uh, at one point, I compiled his greatest hits into an album and uh, just sang the album for him. And to to great to great applause, and we still reference some of his greatest hits, like "Packs or Picks, Picks or Packs," and other stupid songs. And uh, that's just a thing that uh, me and that group of people will have that I'm sure nobody else thinks is funny. Listening to this podcast, you're like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" But I promise it's great to me, and it's a really warm memory. So the next question is from Victor. Is there a greater prestige in winning paper events compared to Magic Online or arena events of the same size, Victor? Depends on who you ask. Yeah, uh, I think this is one of those subjective things for sure. Yeah, like I will travel eight hours for a Legacy Grand Prix or I'll like get on a plane or whatever. Like I'll, I'll make that happen. But I don't even log in for the Saturday and Sunday Moto Challenges because I don't care. And that's not because they're not respectable events or not because they don't have good prizes. It's just like... That is not important to me, but I know there are other people uh, who just love to post the you know most all-time MTGO Challenge top eight, top ten list. Like I believe Bryant is somewhere near that list, if not on it. And then uh, like uh, Eco Baronin and Gouldicott, like those guys. Like it, it's just two different economies, and I think that people like me who value paper events over any magic online event should probably adjust our expectations with the continued crawl of covid ruining organized play for the second year in a row and just the shift towards esports and arena like i i've spent the last year genuinely like 
somewhere in my head i've been like wow it sucks there's no ptqs anymore but there literally is there's one every single month on arena and then magic online runs them pretty regularly too and they just don't register in my brain Uh, so it depends on who you ask they're also different sizes right like the challenges in a grand prix just i wanted to call that out um but yeah, I think like a lot of this questions from if you read Reddit, there's a lot of people that are like, paper's the real metagame. And like they just don't accept Magic Online results. And I think legacy, you know, some of both. Like Moto largely impacts what people are playing, but not all the time. So, you know, just make good judgments. Alright. So Bryant, the next one is aimed directly at you from Metalfish. You've probably answered this already, but thoughts on a consider taking over the bobble slot in modern Lotus Breach? Uh, a lot of people across all formats are really excited for consider. I know like Doomsday players are pretty stoked right now. The card's insane. But uh, for our audio listeners, can you give us a summary of what the card does? Oh, of course. So uh, one blue for an instant. You can look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard, a.k.a. almost surveil, draw a card. So... Uh, with Doomsday, you can create a pile that wins with a single mana with no other cards in hand. So if you're in this weird circumstance, you can consider a way deep analysis, draw a Lion's Eye Diamond, flash it back into Petal Oracle in the game. Well, in Lotus Breach, we play Bobble as this like free spell that, you know, it helps fill your graveyard. It draws a card like that's just what it's there for. But I don't think you'd want to cut Bobble. A lot of people want to for budget considerations, but I'm just not someone that plays with those in mind. So I'd be looking to cut something like Sleight of Hand or potentially Serum Visions, uh, whatever you're looking to do. But I would not cut Bobble. Bobble is just insane. All right. Um, so Brian says he's going to answer the next one in 30 seconds. So so we'll time him. Uh, I, I'm going to try. Uh, I'll probably need 30 seconds to read the question. But this is from the real Safcon. They made an extremely long reddit post really fleshing out their thoughts on this you can go find that on the legacy reddit if you want Uh, i'm gonna boil it down do you think universes beyond and secret layers are breaking magic lore and aesthetic and aesthetics in a harmful way will it cause a community schism between people attracted to magic for high fantasy and the people who came for fortnite what might this community schism look like is the future community oriented ban lists and formats independent of watsi sanctioning well I think that anything that brings people into magic is fine. And I think that those people who learned about magic because of Fortnite are going to quickly realize there's only those six Fortnite cards or whatever out of the secret lair. And then they'll either get with the high fantasy or they'll leave. And I don't think anyone's going to be like making up their own Fortnite sets and demanding a side community. Uh, Is the future of community oriented ban lists and formats? Didn't we already answer a question earlier on about, you know, since Legacy sucks, why don't you play Postmodern or Penny Dreadful or Old School? This is already happening, and this is not a schism. It's not a problem. I think if people want to play Old School, they can do that. If people want to play Casual 60s, they can do that. If people want to play Commander, like, it doesn't matter. People have always played Magic in different ways for the entirety of Magic's time. And I don't think that we're going to get some like steampunk offshoot that only play with modern looking secret layers or anything like that. And I don't think that's going to break the magic community any more than it is already a bunch of different pockets of people just enjoying the game, how they choose to enjoy it. Like I, I don't have a problem with any of these things. Brian, 
I thought Rick Steadfast Leader was going to destroy the game. I thought it was the change to the legendary rule. I thought it, wait, wait, wasn't it supposed to be the introduction of Planeswalkers? And Mana Burn just dumbed down the game so much when they got rid of that. Oh yeah, that's and right. And removing damage from the stack. That was the final straw. And before that, putting damage on the stack. <laughs> or, or maybe it was uh, that other time they changed the legendary rule again. Or, or, or wait, changing the borders on the cards? That, that was it too. Yeah, the legend frame in Dominaria is an abomination. So for real, we're being a little flippant about this, but Magic has changed a lot over the years, and it's more popular than it's ever been. And I think that we're not going to have... Like, Magic, the game engine, Like you, if you want to play with cards from before modern, you can do that. You want to play old school, you can do that. You want to play with comments, whatever. You can do that. You already can do that. Nothing's going to stop people from doing that in the future. And I'm sure there are people who have home rules where it's like, you know, you start with 10 cards in hand, you can play as many lands as you want, draw five cards a turn, like whatever. If that's what you want to do with your magic cards, have fun. Like it, I, I just don't see any problem with what's going on here. And if some kids jump in because they like Fortnite, good for them. There's also like just like so many people out there that like don't even know about this stuff. Like I have a coworker that messaged me last week and they're like, hey, I found my old magic cards and I got really into like looking up how much they're worth and selling them. But it ultimately just made me want to buy more. So now I just have this brand new deck I bought. And I'm like, oh, what format is it? They're like, format. I'm like, oh, uh, so like, is it just like a casual deck? He's like, oh, there's definitely no rules. I just bought cards I liked. Yeah, for sure. There you go. Yeah, this this is the thing I didn't understand for so long because like I I jumped into the competitive rabbit hole and like went to an LGS almost immediately. You know, the vast majority of people who play Magic don't don't know all the rules. They don't know what the stack is. They've probably never been into a a game store. You know, so many people are playing at their kitchen table with two, three, four other friends, and they're just having a good time playing with the cards. They've never thought of these issues that are ruining the community. I think I, I mentioned some flavor of this in the past episode or two, but having built into Commander over quarantine, I have two decks that I consider casual. Like one of them I consider casual and one I consider even more casual. And they are both just absolutely slaughtering at a actual casual table. Like as a competitive player trying to build for casual, like using specific metrics in mind like there's no two card combos there's no tutors like just these things that make sense to me uh, on like a power level scale you sit down and it's literally people who bought a precon and they might have switched out two or three cards from booster packs they opened i added the crawl worm to my deck it's so big yeah i mean i think that people who have bought a commander precon know better than crawl worm at this point but like the the point is like you're i'm like I built Bosch Iron Golem. I built it to function, but it doesn't go off. There's no combo. It's just like a red artifact value deck. But it still has like Ancient Tomb, City of Traders, Mishra's Workshop. Like it's got good cards in it. And I'm playing, like if you sit down at a random EDH table at your LGS, so there's a good chance that person is less than $100 into Magic. They bought the Commander deck. They might have bought a pack of sleeves to put it in and maybe a couple packs and switched a few cards out. And that's what they got. Like, the idea of Gaia's Cradle is just like, what the hell is that? And it's just like, oh, I have four foils in my legacy deck and have for years. And it's just, 
there's just these different pockets and they're doing different things. And I think getting caught up in the Twitter drama or like what magic is on like some sort of existential philosophical level, I, I think you're missing the the beautiful forest for some individual trees there. Magic is a great game. If you just get out and play it and stop talking about it on Twitter and on Reddit and going down these click holes with people who agree with you and like if you just actually sit down at your LGS and play some magic, you're you're going to refresh yourself and have a good time and worry less about stuff like this. All right. This is from Rick, who asks, Hi, uh, really enjoying the podcast. Only started listening recently. Got out of playing Commander, but still like the idea of singleton formats. So I got into the various 1v1 formats, uh, the Highlander ones uh, that exist, be it Canadian, Australian, or European. Do any of you have experience with these formats or any interest in them? I play some EDH. I don't know what all these other things are. Like, I've heard of Canadian Highlander, but basically don't know what any of it is. And so I guess the answer is no to both interest and experience for me. We've already mentioned this a few times, but, like, we are all content creators. A lot of these formats just, like, aren't supported, and not a lot of people play them. I'm actually familiar with both Australian and Canadian, but why would I choose to spend time playing these when I could just, like, play Pauper or anything else that I can play on Magic Online? Uh, there's just so many options for magic nowadays. Play whatever makes you happy. Uh, that's like my honest suggestion. If you find joy in one of these Highlander formats, go for it. Like whatever makes your boat float, go ahead and do that. Um, as far as content creators go, I believe Dugs on Twitch uh, did mess around with the Australian Highlander formats quite a bit. Um, so if you look at their website, uh, greensunzenith.com, or maybe hit, the, uh, hit them up on Twitter, um, at Dugs on Twitch, D-O-U-G-E-S. Um, you could probably find some information that way. All right. So All the right. next one is from Monolith MTG. Yo, where did the pizza content go? I don't know, Brian. Is Friday still pizza day, the best day of the week? Yes, Brian. It's obviously still the best day of the week. We just don't talk about it anymore. Uh, over the summer, we quit grilling the pizzas. We just exclusively do them inside now. Uh, they just taste better when they're in the oven. I don't know. Like, they cook yeah, better. it's true. So yeah, there, that's definitely true. Once the novelty of grilling a pizza wears off, it, it's clearly better in an oven. Uh, pizza day is is tomorrow for me. Uh, admittedly, I'm just uh, ordering pizzas for all the D and D nerds, but the pizza content is still here. It's just it's just become a smaller part of the meta game of this podcast. So m Monday is your honorary pizza day. Like that seems a little bit weird considering how it's supposed to be Friday, but like I'm down. Yeah, Monday is supposed to be hot dogs. Yeah. If you have ever listened to the song, the whole menu is laid out for the week and you're breaking the, the cycle. But it is uh, a day off, so I guess you're not subject to the school lunch calendar. Yeah. As far as my pizza content goes, I got into HelloFresh, like the the meal kits that just get delivered to your house and then you cook them. And there's not a lot of pizza in those. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we do... We basically order out or go out to dinner once a week and then cook for ourselves the other six days. And I have not actually cooked a pizza for myself in a while, though pizza is still in our normal rotation for the one day a week we order out. So there's less pizza going on in my life in general. We were invited for a couple double date this week. They're like, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? And I looked at Bath and she goes, no, Friday's pizza day. Like it, it is law around here. Yeah, that's good. 
like we said in the other question about maintaining life balance, you need to set some hard rules and stick to them. And Friday is pizza day, the best day of the week. All right. Um, so our next one comes from Jeep, who asks, do you enjoy playing board games or card games with your significant other? Yes, but like, once again, Brian has mentioned how people are like competitively very different. Uh, we are fairly basic and we love Settlers of Catan. Uh, however, my wife does not care if she wins or loses. She just enjoys playing and it's just not who I am. Uh, so sometimes I need to dial back my own competitiveness to make it more fun for everyone. I mean, not everyone grows up playing these like hyper competitive games, right? Or even video games. Sometimes people just play for the experience. So you need to uh, adjust yourself. Yeah. My girlfriend does not have a mind for math or like, uh, and strategy is new. Like, she's never had to strategize. Didn't even play, like, team sports where, like, positioning the players on the field and stuff was part of strategy. And you learn that sort of uh, tacitly as you go. Uh, so she likes word games. Uh, we really like Codenames, Scrabble. There's a game called... Uh, I forget what it's called. But basically, it's a trivia game where all of the other players have are shouting questions at you and you have to answer one of them verbally. You have to spell the answer to another one with like boggle cubes. And then you have to like write down the answer to the other person while there's a timer running that you are in charge of keeping track of. It's, it's, it's basically about like staying cool under trivia barrage. Uh, I, I'll try to look it up and think of the name because it's a lot of fun. She likes that one. Uh, we do have a number of games in the rotation, but any like the drafters the deck builders like ascension or dominion all that like we've tried and it's a no effing way <laughs> like it, that is not in her wheelhouse and she's not interested to learn but i also like word games so it's not a problem it's really hard for me to enjoy playing a competitive game with my girlfriend sort of for similar reasons like i love things like dominion and ascension but you know it's it's a bloodbath if we play together so we try to play more cooperative games, whether it's on the Switch or, you know, a, a board or card game. Uh, so we do a lot of crossword puzzles together. We do trivia together. Um, we played Gloomhaven, uh, which was like Dungeons and Dragons in a box, essentially, uh, where most of the stuff is kind of like prepackaged for you. And like we played that through that campaign over the better portion of like maybe a year and a half. So we love playing games together, but we kind of have to choose carefully and and find something that will be fun for for both of us all right so mike noble asked a very important question that i think it's pretty uh crucial that we answer what is each host's favorite blink 182 song for those of you unaware mike responded to our survey for donating to charity with a different blink 182 song for every question so i think it would mean a lot to mike if we answered this I believe that Brian is a big fan, so Brian, uh, you can go first. And it's hard to pick a favorite. It, again, depends on the mood. Like, am I just feeling silly? Am I, do I want to, like, feel emotions? Do I want to uh, reflect on life? There's so many to offer. Uh, but I think I would have to go with the classic, all the small things, if we're just like, you know, which one is on my playlist of songs I won't skip. Uh, the real answer to that, I don't actually have any Blink-182 songs on my master playlist where I just dump any song that I won't skip and I let it run when I'm driving. But I do have the uh, Puddles Pity Party, the like sad clown who sings beautifully. I don't know if you guys know about this guy, but 
uh, he was on like America's Got Talent and he sang uh, Chandeliers, uh, just like in full character as this like sad clown. And it was gorgeous. But uh, he's he's a thing. Check it out. Puddles Pity Party. But he has a cover of All the Small Things that is on that rotation. Well, uh, Anima of the State was probably the first CD I ever fell in love with. And I don't think there's a single song on there that I would ever skip. That said, they're not in my regular rotation at this point in my life. But like Brian, I find it's kind of hard to pick just one song. So I'm going to list two. Going Away to College, uh, being young, that song definitely hit me in the right spot. And then uh, I'm growing up, I love the American Pie movie. So every time I look for you, just like the first time I heard that song open up the movie, I was just like, this movie's going to be awesome. So big fan. Um, and as far as me, I don't think I could have named a single Blink-182 song off the top of my head. So abstain. I actually saw Blink like three years ago. Um, they they were on a tour and a bunch of the Magic friends decided they were going to go together. Like me and one other couple were like pretty excited about it. And a bunch of our other friends were like, yeah, whatever. It's a thing to do. And my friend Chris, who I mentioned, the perennial curmudgeon, was like, yep, can't wait to stand here for an hour waiting for them to play their two songs that I know. And it turned out that, like, of their 12 or 13 song set, like, 11 of them were, like, pretty big radio rotation over the last 20 years. They have a lot of songs that you might not even notice were them or you don't come to the front of your mind right away but oh yeah i'm 100 yeah. percent sure if i googled a list of their songs i would know a bunch of them but like for sure you would i, I was not tuned into this as a band i know Fair that enough. mike is a pretty big fan of happy holidays you bastard so if you're a listener and you don't know that song definitely go listen to happy holidays you bastard not bad yeah uh, funny story just like in the last three weeks my girlfriend realized that take off your pants and jacket was a pun like a play on words that's uh that's one of their album titles and it's written like pants and jacket like your your outer layer of clothing but obviously if you whip off your pants and jacket it means something else so she like weeks ago she was like oh my god <laughs> all right and uh, that will take us to the final question of the evening which is from starfox444 who asks what is tasha's most heinous characteristic her personality yeah, yeah, she is. That mean. makes sense. Yeah. Don't don't, Good don't episode, think it boys. could be anything else, honestly. Yep. Let's wrap it up. No love for Tasha here. All right. Thank you all for listening to our mailbag episode. I hope you uh, gained something out of it. Maybe multiple somethings. Uh, if you ever have any questions or want to drop us a line, hit us up on Twitter. Otherwise, we'll see you again in two weeks. Get out there, battle in some legacy events. It's Christmas Eve and I've only wrapped two fucking presents Christmas Eve and I've only wrapped two fucking presents And I hate, hate, hate your guts I hate, hate, hate your guts And I'll never talk to you again Unless you're Dallas or me I'll never talk to you again Unless your mom will touch me I'll never talk to you again Check it into a song I'll never talk to you again I'll never talk to you again It's Labor Day and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs Labor Day and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs And he shit, shit, shit his pants He's always fucking shit his pants And I'll never talk to you again Unless you're Dallas or me I'll never talk to you again